Hello and welcome to Ask the Expert, a daily series from 8.30am to 9am to help small businesses. You can ask any questions in the comments or use the hashtag QBATE on Twitter. If you need any more advice, please join the official Intuit QuickBooks SMB community group on Facebook. Accountants and business experts are on hand 24-7. QuickBooks also have a dedicated information site to help you coming out of lockdown. Just go to the QuickBooks website, scroll down a little bit, and click on the big Learn More button under the header, Support for You and Your Business During COVID-19. Now, I'm fully aware that some of you would have attended these shows before. In fact, some of you might have attended mine. So some of this introduction might sound familiar to you. But I will just like to remind you, please do send your questions in. And if you don't want to comment publicly, what a lot of people do is they send a DM to the Intuit team, either through Twitter or Facebook, so that your message can still be asked. Um, yeah, we, we can accept them in any format. So um, for those who don't know me, I'm Carl Reed. I've, um, I've worked in a small business space now for probably 20 odd years. And I fell into it from a very unconventional route. So um, I left school very early, didn't know what I was going to do and fell into the world of accountancy. Now, I need to just make it, make it clear from now that I am not an accountant by trade. I don't do accountancy. So please um, don't ask me tax bills or um, the details of how to file things at the tax office because I wouldn't know. My team do that for me. Uh, but what I do know is small business. Um, along my way within the business, I've spoken to thousands and thousands of business owners and I've got to learn what what actually is it that makes them special what is it that differentiates one business owner from another what is it that makes a business successful one of the things that I wanted to touch on today was digitalization because we've been very focused on the crisis of coronavirus and I think that we we have to acknowledge that it is a crisis both an economic crisis and a public health crisis However, we are seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, and hopefully the announcements later today from the government will help encourage consumer spending and help kickstart business once again. So we now need to look at what's coming up over the next year, two years, five years, and how can we improve our businesses to be fit for the future? And one of those areas is digitalization. And I see this from two areas. The first side, is digitalization is going to be forced on us. Um, to some extent, we're going to have our hand um, forced with making tax digital and the increased reliance on systems like real-time information and so on, where the government want to um, receive data from businesses in an electronic format rather than in the format that a business wants to put it forwards. Now, it might feel like this is Big Brother. However, it's happening globally. This isn't just something in the UK. And in fact, Eastern Europe have been the pioneers in this and it's worked wonders um, for their government and also for their businesses. So, so that's one side to it. The, um, I guess the stick of forcing us to do it is the government bringing in making tax digital. But on the other side, we need to think about the very real benefits that digitalization can bring to businesses. And there was a survey commissioned by um, Intuit, who are the company behind QuickBooks who run these shows, um, which demonstrated just how much 
the productivity of the UK can improve should digitalization be adopted by businesses. Now, that sounds like a very high-end concept. So allow me to bring the concept of digitalization down into simple terms. This could be as simple as communicating with your clients by email or using online banking. It was shocking to see just how many businesses weren't even using online banking. Yeah, that, that's step one of the process. But if we were to take, let's say, a hair and beauty salon, they could look at automating their diary booking system. Now, what would that do for them? At the very basic, it will save um, it will save the receptionist or um, or the specialist fighting over the diary. But actually, from the business perspective, it will reduce cancellations. Um, because actually people have a very easy channel to log in and um, cancel their appointment. It will send SMS reminders uh, and so on. It could help capture payment up front. Um, and in terms of the minimization of wasted income, it's massive. Um, another idea would be a business converting, let's say, customer cards into a CRM system. If you were to do that, then you've got all of your information in one place. And the business can automate their communications with their customers to make the um, make the customer experience so much better and also reduce the time of the business. So there's a massive amount of potential that can be unlocked um, simply through digitalization. And it's something that, you know, digitalization is something that I've done in my own business as well. So it's very rare that I talk um, openly about our business, but I felt do you know what? I can give you a very real life example of how digitalization has helped both us and the clients that DNT serves. So we're in the franchising marketplace and we had clients all over the country. So we we're very early adopters within DNT of online accounting. Um, but that wasn't enough for us. So we actually built a franchise dashboard system. It was very simple, but it allowed us to analyze the data of different locations, compare, benchmark, understand what was it that drove peak performance within a network. So if you've got 100 businesses, we were able to identify what was it that makes the top five, the top 5%. What was it that they were doing that led to the results that they had achieved? And then we were able to replicate best practice across the network. So um, digitalization and grabbing all of this data and bringing it into one place was a really simple way for us to start innovating what we were doing and to start on that digitalization process. So if I can leave you with one message today from this um, Q&A intro, it would be that digitalization is coming and there's two options. We can see it as a burden. We can see it as something the government is forcing us to do. Or we can really embrace the opportunities that come from it because there are massive opportunities to free up time, which can allow you to either do more of what you're doing to make more income or do more of what you love. Because do you know what? Not all of us love sitting at the desk nine to five, Monday to Friday. So that's my intro. I'm now going to turn to some of the questions that have started coming in. Um, so I'll thank you for sending those in. And the first one is from Asha. So Asha sent a question from Instagram DM. As a relatively new company, would you recommend outsourcing marketing or sales? I don't have time for both. Okay. 
So as a new company, I'm going to presume my answer that you haven't got pots of cash, you haven't got loads of staff to do this stuff. So you need to outsource um, so that you can uh, free yourself up to do what you do. For me, I would say that in the early stages of a business, the very best person to be selling a product or a service is the entrepreneur themselves, because they are the one who is truly passionate about what they do, why they do it, and how they do it. So if I was to make that choice, as a very broad rule of thumb, I would be going first to outsource marketing. However, there is a caveat to that, as there is to most questions. If, Asha, you are a marketing expert, this is your field, and this is what you've done for the last 30, 40, 50 years, um, and you've never sold something in your life, then maybe you need to get a right-hand person to do the sales. But for the most um, average businesses where there isn't a strong speciality one way or another, I would say marketing is the best area to outsource. And there's a second reason for that as well. Marketing, in my eyes, can be broken down in, in a couple of different ways. So when I look at marketing, I always see that there's two kinds of marketing. You've got direct marketing and indirect marketing. Now, direct marketing is marketing that you can track pound for pound against return. Indirect marketing is the more fluffy branding stuff. So this would be creating a logo, creating a website. This would be PR. This would be stuff that you can't necessarily quantify one action to one result. Direct marketing, Google pay-per-click. You can quantify how much you've spent on a certain keyword, how many click-throughs you've had, what the conversion rate is. It's very trackable and measurable. Now, the challenge for most businesses is that the skill set to do indirect marketing effectively, so the creativity, the design, uh, thinking about the user journey and so on, is very different from the analytical mindset, the data-focused mindset that's needed for the direct marketing. And in fact, yeah, I, I would actually contend that direct marketing should be managed more by an accountant um, rather than a marketeer. Um, when we think of a traditional marketeer as the colouring in department, the direct marketing actually needs to be very facts and figures, numbers focused. So they're very different skill sets. And through outsourcing, you could perhaps outsource to an agency that would have a PR expert but would have a creative expert, but would have a web designer, but would have a data analyst, but would have an SEO expert, because that's a wide range of fields. When it comes to sales, so to come back to the second option here, what I would suggest with sales is that you understand the sales process. So when, when I look at a business, what I do is I look at making sure that the fulfillment is correct. So this is your operations. This is your delivery to your customer. Then the conversion, and this is where the sales piece comes in. That's the second piece to get right. And in this case, Asha, that will be for you. And then at the very top is the marketing. How do we generate the leads to convert, to put into the system? So there's ways to do it. You can um, read some sales books. You can watch training videos. You can attend training courses. Um, but these will just help refine and distill your passion because, as I said, at the start of this process, there'll be no one better to sell your product or service than you. 
So next up, we've got Andy. So Andy has sent in through Facebook Messenger. Hi, Carl. How did you get into writing books? I've always thought about it, being a business consultant. But how do I know if I'm credible enough to put a book out there that people will want to buy? So, Andy, thank you so much for this one. And quite frankly, this is one that I could I could spend a whole half hour answering. I fell into being an author through a very unorthodox route. And I'm happy to share with you all how it happened. It was a good friend of mine, uh, Rob Brown, had shared on Facebook whether anybody knew anybody who could write a book on startups. So this was in relation to my first book, um, Startup Coach. I put my hand up and said, yep, you know, this is um, right in my bag. I can do it. And I didn't really know where to start, if I was, if I was truthful with you. Um, writing a book was on my bucket list. However, it was actually book number two, the Franchising Handbook, which was my bucket list item. So book number one, I, um, I had an introduction to somebody who then introduced me to the publisher. Um, the way that the nonfiction book writing process works is that you build a proposal on spec. Now, if you're self-publishing or if you're going down a traditional route, I would recommend writing a proposal. The proposal is on spec, so you don't send a manuscript into the publisher. Instead, you put together a proposal which has about 15 questions. And the kinds of questions that are expected to be answered within a proposal are things like, who are you? What is your platform? How will you promote the book? How is it different from other books? What is the chapter plan? What, what is the ideal customer? And um, also then sample chapters and so on. So you need, to get, you need to do that to give you an idea of what the book's going to be. It gives the publisher an idea, but it's also a really good self-appraisal tool. And this self-appraisal tool is vital because it allows you to really sit back and think, am I right to... To, yeah, I'm the right person to write a book. Am I able to convey my message clearly in the sample chapter? Does the chapter plan make sense? Is it a sensible um, reader journey? And quite frankly, will anyone buy it? So that's what you do. Now, there's two choices where you can go. So I've been down the traditional publisher route for all of my books. Um, my latest book, Bossit, is out in October. It can be pre-ordered at all good bookstores right now if you just search for Bossit Cold Reader. Um, and that one is traditionally published with um, a independent publisher that has separate offices, so it's a global release. The previous ones were released UK only and a couple of other nations. That sounds impressive. Um, it was, you know, um, my publisher for Startup Coach and Franchising Handbook was the second biggest publisher in the world. However, I had no platform at that time, so I did it perhaps the wrong way round. Um, so I, yeah, if, if I didn't have the naivety and confidence that I have now, Andy, I perhaps um, would have been asking the same question as you. So I think you need to go for it, but then make sure that you have a plan yourself to promote the book in its own right. So there's two options. You can be published or self-published. If you go down the self-publishing route, you will pay around five to £15,000, depending where you go, um, for an agency to manage the whole process. Or you can pay a bit less and do it yourself um, using the tools off the shelf. The challenge with self-publishing is distribution. It's much harder to get into the bookstores. And you're amongst a lot of noise of other self-published authors. Publishing 
the challenge of publishing is that you earn quite literally pence per book. I'm probably fortunate if I'm able to go out and have a pizza on my royalties. I saw a, um, a hashtag on Twitter and it was for authors to share um, what their advances and royalties are. And it made me laugh because the idea of it was to expose for us um, us authors, um, in particular white male authors, are making far more money than everybody else. Let me let let me let you into a little secret, Andy. I've I've done okay with my books, but with my royalty check, I'm lucky if I can buy a pizza for the family. And um, that that's the reality. Um, you know, if you, if we can compare my books and Domino's pizzas, what what is the difference between the two of them? A pizza feeds a family of four. My books can just about buy the pizza. So um, it's certainly not a way to riches. However. It is a great way of sharing your knowledge. It's a great process to go through as well of distilling your knowledge. And finally, it's probably the world's best business card because no one chucks away a book. So Stevie, Stevie, we've got a question from Twitter direct message. Um, And Stevie says, good morning, Carl. During COVID-19 as a small business, we've been through some challenging times and it has been an emotional roller coaster. I imagine there are a lot more businesses out there feeling like this. What's your advice on overcoming the more low moments of running a business? So again, Stevie, thank you so much for this message. However, I can't truly do this justice in the time we've got. So I'll do the very best that I can. um, But please reach out to me personally if you feel you would like to. So when it comes to overcoming the low moments in a business, I think that there's a few things that we need to consider. The first and most important thing is that we can only control what we can control. And that's a vital thing to remember whenever we're in business. So when we're driving, we've got two options in regards to um, what way we look. In fact, we've got four options. We can look straight ahead of us. We can look to the left or the right, or we can look behind us. Now, I can guarantee that if you're driving and you spend your time looking in the rearview mirror or looking behind you to see what's happened and to find out about the accident that's behind you, there's one thing that's going to happen to you, and that's going to be that you'll hit another accident. So actually, you need to be spending your time as a as a relatively safe driver, spending 95% of your time looking forwards and probably 5% looking in your wing mirrors and your rearview mirror. So as a business owner, we need to adopt that approach. And sometimes business owners can be consumed by the bad news. Um, they can be consumed by the noise out there and can be, can be quite honestly consumed by the bad month that they had last month. The reality is that stuff has happened and we can't change it. So we need as business owners to make sure that our focus is on the stuff we can control. Because if we spend most of our time looking behind us, then we're not looking at where our business is going. So that's the first thing. The second thing is an analogy that was shared with me by a good friend of mine, Brian Duckett. And he stated that when it comes to playing football, you can control how you play on the pitch. You can't control the size of the goalposts. You can't control the decisions the referee makes. You can't control where the lines are drawn. But you can control how you perform within that. So to bring that down to a um, too long, didn't read summary, my advice 
for um, feeling better about your business, not necessarily overcoming the low moments, is to focus on the things that you can control because they're the things that you can have a positive influence on. It's very important for me to say, though, that mental health in entrepreneurs in general is um, more challenging than perhaps those in steady employment. And this is something that I've seen both anecdotally and I've also um, seen some research to prove it. And I think that there's another side to this as well. You know, for for those of us who, like you, Stevie, are brave enough to make the jump and start a small business, you have a level of confidence. You have a... um, I hate to say it, probably a level of ego as well. Most business owners do. And it's very challenging to admit to um, things not being so great. So it's really important that as business owners, we focus on our own mental wellness as well as the health of our business. And that we try to take control of where we are rather than where the business is. Now, I'm not for one moment suggesting there's any issue, but it's really important that if you're not doing so already, that you take time for self-care, that you take time for personal development. And if there is any personal challenges that you reach out to somebody, um, I know too many um, business owners, I've seen too many business owners who buried their head in the sand. And actually, yeah, there's an old saying that a problem shared is a problem halved. And it's a saying that I live too personally because uh, you know I know that myself, as well as everybody else, I'm susceptible just as much as everyone else. Everybody has mental health. Um, Everybody has day-to-day challenges in running their businesses and so on. So make make sure that if there is a low moment and it feels a bit more difficult than just a low moment, you reach out. Um, Stevie, I hope that that's answered your question. And I'm sure that by taking control, you'll be able to focus on where your business needs to be. Laura has sent him an X message. So Laura has sent it in through Facebook. Uh, Thank you so much, Laura. Hi, I'm thinking about starting a business and will need a good strategy. What do you think the most important aspects I should be addressing in the early strategy phase? So just to, um, I guess, to bring the way I do things onto the table here, I don't tend so much to use um, phrases like strategy purely because often management jargon can be confused by business owners. And in the case of strategy, where the confusion sometimes comes in is business owners confuse strategy with tactics. Um, They confuse um, tactics with management and it can get all all over the place. so there is a pyramid, the strategic, the tactical, the operational. Um, the strategic is a very big picture. Now, the way that I tend to refer to it in my books, I, I tend to refer to a process of dream, plan, do, review. So the strategy is within the dreaming part, um, but it builds into the planning as well, because you do need to plan your strategy. It's not just sitting back on a beach and sipping cocktails and thinking about how you're going to dominate the world. Effective strategy also includes a very broad vision of how you're going to it, how you're going to implement, not step by step, um, but broadly how you're going to do it. Now, each business has a um, different focus in their strategy. Because it really depends if you're a product-based business or a service-based business. It depends if 
you're going to set your stall out being people first or product first. Um, and you can be people first in a product business. You, know, you can look at the likes of John Lewis versus, let's say, um, Audi. Um, Audi or Lidl would quite clearly be about shifting product at low margin. Um, Waitrose, John Lewis bring on their people as partners and they are all owners of a business. So uh, you, you need to be very clear on where your business sits, and then that will help dictate what you need to be thinking about within the strategy stage. Um, but I also think that you need to be thinking about things like your overall vision, your values, your stakeholders. Again, I, I really don't like using these phrases. And in my book, I try to find ways to um, make them more comfortable to help encourage the um, creative process of going through these and making sure that they're fit for purpose for either a new or an existing business. Um, but you need to be thinking about that stuff. And I, I think that as well, something that is often forgotten at the strategic planning stage, but is vital in all businesses, and, and even more so today than it ever has been, is the culture and setting the culture by intention. Because, look, we, um, we've all been educated, I guess, by business books telling us about process, 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 about systemization about having ordinary people with extraordinary system gives us extraordinary results. And in today's day and age, that's a load of rubbish. That stuff was considered to be appropriate in the days before Google and Amazon. That stuff was considered to be appropriate before we spent all of our days hooked to a smartphone watching Netflix. That stuff was before we lost our societal connection with others. So we now live in stay-at-home economy. So regardless of what your business is, you need to look at how you can tap into human-to-human relationships, both internally and externally. And I believe that needs to be a key part of any business's strategy going forwards, because otherwise you're in a race to the bottom of automation, of cost-cutting, um, what Michael Porter would call cost leadership. And there's only going to be one winner in that world, and that's the one with the deepest pockets. So, Laura, I hope that's helped. That's a bit of a um, machine gun um, sharing of my thoughts around strategy and the things that business owners should be thinking about. Um, Nick, we've got a question from Nick by um, Twitter DM. So Nick has asked, dealing with paper and desktop applications all of my life, digitalizing my operations can be intimidating. Where do you think the best place is to get started? We have taken small steps in the right direction, but not where we should be yet. We're a construction company with 20 members of staff. Nick, fantastic question because the word digitalization can really scare people. It's quite intimidating. I would say you need to take one step at a time because if you try to digitalize everything at once, it will be overwhelming. So the first thing that I would do is I would look at what areas in your business are already digitalized. So that might be your emails if you're using um, either Google Mail or Office 365, which are the two leading um, email providers, then surprise, surprise, you're using an online digital system. If you're using online banking, you're using an online digital system. So there is stuff that's already been, been done and is already being used within businesses. The next step is to then focus at where the easy wins are. And that is to look at the systems that are mature enough and standard enough and perhaps you need to use. So email, online banking is a given. 
The accounting system, I would suggest, is very simple to put in place because the systems are mature. And you know, certainly with Intuit QuickBooks, it's from a very big, well-funded company. You can put that in and then explore the connections that they have. So they connect to other applications like CRM systems and so on. And it's very simple from that point to start hooking the jigsaw together. So I would say other areas that I'd be looking at, I would be looking at a project management system, potentially. Um, you might want to be looking at a costing system. There's a load of stuff. Uh, feel free to send me a DM if you want me to give you some more ideas on this. Now, we're coming up to the end of the session now. So thank you so much for your questions so far. It's been extremely enjoyable. If there's any questions, please get in touch with the QuickBook support team on Facebook, or you can reach out to me. So I'm really visible on social media. It's at Carl Reader. Um, you'll find me on all the platforms. Just look for Blue Tick. That, that'll be me. You can also reach out to me through my Facebook group, which is the hashtag Gossip Small Business Community. Now, coming up on Ask the Expert tomorrow is Jackie Fast, who is the former Young Entrepreneur of the Year and Media Disruptor of the Year. She's an active angel investor and board director in sectors at as diverse as fintech and luxury goods. Her second book, Rule Breaker, Rebellious Leadership for the Future of Work, is due out March 2021. Make sure to tune in, ask her your burning questions. And just a reminder, if you need any more advice, join the official Intuit's QuickBooks SMB Community Group on Facebook. Accountants and business experts are on hand 24-7. Thank you and stay safe.